and welcome to another edition of the Advent IM Risk and Business podcast. Those of you that have been following our social media may well have seen that we've had two of our members of staff shortlisted for X-Forces in Business Awards. Um, so I thought we'd get a couple of people together and we'd talk about our backgrounds as ex-military, what brought us to where we are today, maybe have a look at some advice and guidance that we can give to people who are looking to transition in the near future as well. So today I'm joined by one of our consultants, Leighton Hughes. Hi, Leighton. Hi, Mike. And one of my old friends and business colleagues, Fiona Linton. Hi, Fiona. Hiya. We actually have a, um, a Triforce uh, contingent here, myself being ex-Army, Leighton being ex-RAF, and Fiona being ex-Navy. Great to see you, actually, Fiona. I haven't had a chance to speak to you for quite a while since you got such a high-powered job. Um, used to have time for me, you know, back in the day when... Well, you know, I'm mixing with all sorts now, so, uh, you know, you've got to pick and choose, your, your, you know, your audience, haven't you, really? <laughs> so I thought it might be useful, first of all, if, um, if we each took a moment just to explain our background and how we got started off in life, if, if you like. Um, so I'm one of those geek people that was, well, pretty much the first generation of kids to have a computer in their bedroom. Actually dropped out of school at 16 uh, to tell, and told my parents I was going to go off and work with computers, and they told me to grow up and get a proper job. Um, growing up in North Wales in the mid-80s, uh, proper jobs were pretty much factory work, and that didn't appeal to me. And the only other way out of Wales in those days was the military. So the next thing I knew, I found myself in uniform in the army in the medical corps. And there I was off on my glorious career of 10 years and 80 days. Fiona, how did you get into the military? Literally by a complete and utter collide of planets, I think. Um, I... I'm a very tall girl, so it was natural that everyone thought I was going to join the police. And I kind of listened to those people. And at 18, um, I took a police exam and completely bombed it. Completely. <laughs> and the, the um, guy said to me to um, go and um, get some more of the life experience, really. And, uh, and I was absolutely devastated, to be honest with you, because I didn't really know what else I was going to do. So I went to work in the post office, and um, and well, I well, used I guess to take uniforms as good as another, you know. And but there was something that I kept getting. It was back in the day when the job centre had those little cards in the in the job centre, and every job that I looked at underneath it, it said join the navy. And I was actually quite um, a young young girl going through a bit of a. Um, you know, a little bit of a crisis about what it was that I wanted to do. And I actually had to prove myself in some way. So I decided to go to the um, careers advice service. And the lady said to me, after I explained everything that was going on, have you ever thought about joining the forces? And I said, I'm not joining the army for anything. That's far too much like physical work. You know, it's like, it really was. I was like, oh, I can't run in trenches if you see my nails. And, um, and she said, there are two other services, you know. And I literally went back that night. We were sat down having tea. And I said, I think I'm going to go and join the Navy. And my mum said, oh, yeah, Fiona, just like you were going to do this the week, you know, the ambulance service last week, police the week before that. And I remember saying, you just need to grow up, make a decision and get on with it. 
And without her knowing, I went to the Navy Careers Office, passed all my exams and came back and said, I've been accepted. You know, and she was like, oh, my Lord. You know what? And it was um, and that's how I joined the Navy, literally, because there was this thought that was coming in on those job centre adverts. And I thought, I'm going to look at that. And interestingly, you know, he said to me, what do you want to be? And I said, a rent telephonist. And he was like that. No, 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 no. Your exam results are a little bit higher than that. You know, you're going to go into this one. And I was like, oh, look at me. I'm a communicator. Um, so that's how I got into it. And, and for our younger listeners, the job centre is a place you used to go to to get a job before <laughs> the internet, guys. Yeah. 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 What? Yeah. Internet? Who? What? <laughs> Leighton. Uh, yeah. Um, so for myself, I always had a fascination with the military uh, from, you know, watching the war films. Uh, I think from, you know, Memphis Belle, uh, Battle of Britain, Battle of the Bulge, all that good stuff. So I always had a fascination of, of joining the military. And I think that sort of magnified when same private Ryan came out, you know, and all and that. And I went on work experience to RAF St. Athen, uh, working on the, the Tornado aircraft that were there at the time. And the guy who'd set it up uh, lived in my street. He was chief tech, uh, an engineer on, on the aircraft. And he, he obviously got me set up. He used to take me to, there and to work, you know, to and from work, sorry, for the two weeks. Absolutely loved it. Um, even got invited out by a young LAC. So that's just above a trainee or a phase two, you know. Um, he's just, you know, quite fresh into himself and even invited me to one of the, you know, beer nights. Um, but I was probably 15 at the time, so probably... I was a little bit nervous about that and said no. Um, but I was absolutely fascinated with the military. And even in my, um, that, you know, that little leather book you get when you finish school, the certificates in, and you write, you know, what you want to do. And I even put in there, you know, I want to join the RAF and travel the world. Um, so I went to college for a few years, did a bit of factory work as well on my summer holidays. And when I finished um, college doing engineering, I went into work in a factory and while I, while I joined the RAF and I did the test, I didn't have enough to be an engineer. So the recruiter pushed me into comms and without even looking too much into it, he, he glamorized it a little bit. And in 2002, I went off to RAF Halton, did basic training, did training, trade training at RAF Cosford to be a telecommunications operator. And we went and did um, like a, a site visit to a real life comsen. Uh, RAF Stafford, which is now civilian, and I think it was about four of us on our course who went in and thought, "Oh my God, this is our job. What you know? What is this?" Um, it didn't seem very exciting. You know, there didn't seem like there was a massive thrill in the job. But I did. I carried on training. I didn't want to drop out of training and think, "You know what? I want to do something else." Um, I just carried on, pursued it, and I ended up at JSU Corsham. And it wasn't really engaging to the mind, if I'm honest. It was it was quite dull. It was sending signals, which had already been typed. So I was taking them from one computer on the old floppy disks, putting them into another, loading them up and looking for the most important ones. If they were important, you printed them off, you rang up the section. Oh, this is a priority. You need to come and collect this or you just email them. And that's what it was. And it wasn't very busy either um, because people were just emailing directly. There was no signals was dying. Um, so we spent most of the days playing board games and football manager or was championship manager and civilization three on the dirty computer, obviously, which was just 
when you hooked up the internet, it was just a standalone PC. That was my day. Um, and you sort of got a bit sort of disillusioned. Uh, I asked for another posting to go somewhere a bit more busier. I ended up at High Wickham, which was, it's the HQ of it, isn't it? It's, it's where all the big wigs are. And that was even more quieter. We did 12 hour shifts, four on, four off. And again, it was, we'd come in and we'd just wait, wait for something to come in. And I thought, oh my God, this is dull. And I, I, I applied for an operational tour. So I went to Oman. But before that, I'd asked just to leave, just to leave the RAF because I just thought this is not where I wanted to be. And I suppose I was very naive as well at the same time and not going to my hierarchy and saying, do you know what, what else is out there? I can't do this. I thought, no, I'll just leave and join the police or try to join the police, um, which is again, I think I'd always wanted to do as well. Um, and I failed with joining West Midlands police. And I thought, you know what, uh, when I was in Oman, I'd met two RAF policemen. And I liked what they do. And they told me, you know, they go all over the world. Um, they just glamorized it quite a lot. And I was, sort of, I was bought into that. And I thought, you know, what, if it fails with this, I'll join them. And so after about a year of civilian life, I rejoined the RAF as military police. And spent 10 years in the military police with about three tours. Um, yeah. And because I grew and grew and grew. Yeah. Obviously, we'll come to that later. And isn't yeah. it funny is that none of us really set out to... To have the careers that we had we kind of almost ended up by accident i mean you know i did literally a bit like fiona you know i, I was out in chester with some friends of mine i walked past the recruiting office i thought mm, i wonder and literally six weeks later i was in basic training um you know i barely had a chance to tell my parents i was going and i was gone um so you know um and to be honest a lot of people who knew me back then they were pretty much just sort of saying, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll give it a year, give it a year, yeah. And I was pretty much the same. They turned around and said to me, "Or oh, your last two weeks." Mm -hmm. And I yeah, was I had the same as well. And I was back in two weeks because it was a major leave period. And they were like, "That <laughs> mm, I told you so." And you're like, "That no, I'm going back." Like, I don't know where this has come from. But quite weirdly, when I got accepted, um, when I passed all my exams for the navy, um it was 1991 so i was kind of laughing when leighton was saying about the film saving private ryan i'm like oh my god i'm actually that old and um <laughs> you, you know and it was kind of like the, the gulf war had started and i think i got my call-up papers around about the may and my mum was just beside herself and even to the point when i was stood on the train station the train platform going she's like i still cannot believe you're doing this and i'm like yeah I had, uh, thing I, I, did. I had quite a fun start to my career, actually, because I did my basic training, came straight out of basic training to a 23 parachute field ambulance in Aldershot, just as the National Ambulance Strike started. So oh, I got wow, yeah. I um, went from there off to do my medical training, just in time for us to have the first Gulf War. And so <laughs> off I go, off to uh, the Middle East. So I was kind of like all geared up that we, he, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And then promptly spent the next eight years sat in um, an office doing nothing, waiting for the next um, big, mm -hmm. exciting thing to happen. Mm. So it was, uh, it was a bit odd, really, because I, I fronted all of my excitement into the first two years, I think. I think for me, I was quite lucky. Um, when I first joined, Iraq was just about to kick off. Um, some of my friends from my course had gone off to uh, the tactical communications wing. Um, who were getting ready to de deploy. I was going to Corsham where we just sat and played for, you know, championship manager, um, very different. And 
they were sending out emails for people to drive uh, convoy vehicles, you know, escort vehicles around Iraq um, shortly after. And I was sort of, I want to get stuck in, but that looks like quite a dangerous job as well. I'm quite safe here. Um, and in the end, I think it took me about a year to realize, actually, I do want to do that. But I also wanted to leave because I was completely disillusioned with the Air Force and the job. I just, it was just, wasn't engaging my mind as much as I thought it was. And some of the senior SACs used to say, oh, you know, you're going to get hit for an, an out of area. If you put your papers in, you're going to get hit for an out of area so they can get that out to you. So if you are going to do that, pick where you want to go first rather than them sending you somewhere like the Falklands. So when I put my papers in... There's nothing wrong with the Falklands. The Falklands was the best draft (laughs) I ever had. Hands down, the best draft I ever had. It was. I went there in 2013. It was. I would bad. literally have stayed for a year. I was begging them to let oh, me really? extend, and then we're just like that. No, if you only have had enough of your six months, you can go. <laughs> I see, that's six months down there. Um, and so yeah, I, I put my papers in, and, and I wanted to go to Oman, but uh, my boss, my OC, was like, "Oh, CEO, oh, you've got to put a, a war zone on there as well. Otherwise, they won't accept it." So I put Iraq and Afghanistan, and they ended up sending me to Oman anyway. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed deploying. But when I got back, I was leaving. I was literally on gardening leave for a few weeks before I was I was mm-hmm. I was a civilian again and again it planted a seed I thought actually this, that was awesome mm-hmm. what have I you know what have I done I think there's a lot of that though isn't there I think when I left the navy um it I was if I'm being honest I was just having a bad day and a bad week yeah and I was like right that's it I'm leaving you know 18 mm. months down the line and I kind of wish that someone had gone look this is your potential. This is what you can do. This is what's available to you. Um, yes, it's worked out for me, you know, in more ways than I ever thought possible. Um, but if I look back, I would be like that. I would just wish somebody had gone, look, you know, I know you're not where you want to be now, but where do you want to go? And let's see how we can help you get there. Because another one of my options, Leighton, was the police you know the military police and but they were changing the rules all the time and it was just like oh i'm out of here i'm done um but i think honestly if someone had taken me a little bit more into their wing way back then when we're talking like you know 20 odd years ago that i would probably have been a bit of a lifer i would think i think that's the same for me as well to be honest when i was in the comms to be fair i was a little bit disgruntled with that if somebody had pulled me to the side and got lucky you know if you don't want to do this what else do you want to do mm-hmm. yeah there are options if you don't want to leave the military or but when I left the police, I think part of me wanted somebody to say that to me. Mm-hmm. But my warrant officer, you know, at the time, I got on really, I got on really well with him, fantastically well with him, until I handed him my papers and I asked to leave even earlier than my allotted time. Mm-hmm. And part, when I, as I was leaving, I thought, just put me to the side or something, yeah. just have a chat Please with me. Please help me. Yeah. yeah. And then even when I left, I thought, I wish if he'd only had done that, you know, and just spoken to me, maybe. I could have spent a bit more time here and continued my mm-hmm. military journey, but he didn't. I, I don't know why. Isn't it weird that we've had the same say, kind of experience mm-hmm. with that? You know, it's. Um, yeah. I think it's a bit different now, and I think there's. I think there's a lot more, you know, opportunities. I think the military's grown, you know, with. On, on lots of different, you know, lots of different areas that were just accepted by civilian. Like I'm doing inverted commas. So civilian um, organisations way, way, way before you know, and and the military kind of have then got onto it. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That it's like the same. Well, I think it's fascinating because, I mean, I, 
I left at the, the end of the 90s, having done my 10 years. Mm. Um, I, I ended up training as a biomedical scientist. And I ended up at the army equivalent of the blood transfusion service, just as they were going computerized. And I was the only person who knew what a computer was, let alone how to use one or manage one. And That's brilliant. in the great way that the military do, they just went, you're now in charge of that stuff. Yeah. Only with it. Um, so I kind of managed to sail under the radar for several years just doing IT stuff. And then eventually somebody said, actually, you've been here a while now, Mike. It's about time we posted you. And I thought, <laughs> well, I, I, actually, I just want to keep working with computers. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go back to working in laboratories. And they said, that's not a proper job. So that was why I left. Crazy, isn't it? That was why I left. But you know what? Yeah. We're still getting people like some of our consultants who have left the RAF in the last few years, where the RAF police also do protective security, yeah. sec, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And then they get to three, four years down the line, having done all that training, and the military says, yes, but it's not a proper job. Now go off and work in a dog section. Yeah, that does happen. Um, I think that was, you know, us. Not so much going off walk in the dog walk in, work in the dog section, sorry, but had somebody from the dog, dog section coming. <laughs> yeah, um, work. But when I when I got into Bryce Norton in the inf you know, I was I was very junior, you know, very, very minimal experience. Uh, and I was a new corporal going in, we were getting a new sergeant, and the new sergeant was coming from a dog section. And he had no experience mm. whatsoever. So he I think he relied a lot on me and I relied and, and at times relied on him. Um in guiding each other but he was away for the first three months anyway of my time there because he was doing his courses and he just didn't have a clue nothing against him he was a lovely bloke and again we got on fantastically he was brilliant um as a line manager but as somebody i needed to mentor me he just didn't have the experience and mm -hmm. that's the key thing isn't section. it yeah. it's the mentoring it's like let me help you achieve well the mm. of the military that they will just drop people in and expect them to be mentored yeah. by the, the more experienced mm -hmm. people around them. And you learn so many life skills, I think, in the military as well, that certainly I feel the military gave me a huge amount of confidence, um, mm -hmm. just life skills and the ability to just walk into a room full of yeah. people I've never met before and go, hi, I'm Mike, I've just arrived in camp, here are you type mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. which you know for a shy lad leaving north wales believe it or not um that was a massive uh, benefit to me what do you think were some of the life skills that the navy gave you fiona um i could say drinking but that's not probably an appropriate <laughs> answer um partying that's, probably that's, not an appropriate answer yeah 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 that was honestly the <laughs> best deployment don't even get me started on the falklands as a deployment because you will literally have this podcast for three hours um but i think it's the like you've just said it's the ability to carry yourself for one um i think it's the ability to be able to engage with people um to understand prior to any meeting that you're going to, to have the ability to walk into a room and speak and engage with people, I think is is good. I think that if you look at, um, if you look at the leadership teachings of the military, where a lot of people would, outside of the military, we think that's very um, command. Um, it isn't really, it's about understanding who it is you're talking to, so yeah. they can get what they want out of your meeting as well. Um, and just the um, teamwork, I know that's a cliche, but it's absolutely key. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, um, you see, and quite weirdly, the military, I find, are very detailed people, which I am so not, it's unbelievable. Um, but what I do have is the ability to be able to translate what my vision is and what my end goal looks like in order to bring out the um, the strongest skill set that I've got within my team. So I know that like the guy who works in my team um, will go, well, let me just go away and think about that, Fiona, of how we can achieve that. And I respect his um, his thought process on that. There's another thing as well that we've kind of brought into because he's an ex-military guy into one of our governance boards and that's and that's really to like allow the most junior person in the room to speak first. And this was his idea and I thought, Do you know what? He's actually got a point. So before we even go to the higher echelons like the people at that board, like the director level, it's actually let the junior person speak first because then they're not influenced by the higher authority. Mm. And it was it was it, it's really changed the way that we do that board. So um, I know I've gone off on a tangent, but it's actually looking at that skill set that somebody brings might not be in the core of what their job is, but you can sometimes teach that. But there's a strong skill set that yeah. people will have that you can just. And I think one of the things that the military teaches is to hone in on that. Yeah, I you think know, the, I think the. the you know, this is the thing I've carried from the military because I suppose with us coming from technical trade backgrounds rather than mm. um, pure infantry lines type of thing where the command and control structure is much stronger mm. is that people arrive and on individual postings rather than on mass as part of a regiment. Yeah. And you're respected mm -hmm. for the skills you bring then to that team mm -hmm. rather than being expected to be just another cog in the in the big machine. Um, so I think that is something that we still see a lot of uh, in, in people who transitioned mm. from technical military roles is they understand that there are people who may be the most senior in the room and not the people who need to be allowed to have the voice in that room because you need to hear the people who have got the yeah. knowledge, the skills, the specialisms. Yeah. That was one of the things, you know, in the Navy, you used to do a fire exercise. They'd go around all the key people in that fire exercise to say in what did you see? What have you learned? What could you have done better? And they all had a voice. And and um, I think I kind of lost that in the middle years transitioning out of the military into civilian life, you know. Um, but actually, the guy in my team has relearned me that, mm. and it's been it's been really beneficial, to be honest. It's like let me hear what you need to say and what you need to think, and let me listen to what other pressures that you're facing. It's um, do, do, yeah. Do you find that as well, Leighton? Yeah, yeah, in some aspects. I mean, we talk, you know, um, some of the stuff that Fiona said just then, um, you know, do ring true. We, we go into a situation um, that we knew to and we adapt or, you know, we adapt to the people around us or the situation around us and we crack on. So it's that crack on attitude, isn't it? <laughs> we just get on with it. And I think I found this even with consulting is we adapt to the people around, you know, in adapting to the people around us, we listen to them. You know, that could be whether it's their job or even their personal interests in 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 understanding them, and I think I, I found that out when a few weeks ago on, a, on on an audit, you know, we spent the first half hour introducing ourselves face to face, even though we'd done it on Teams, uh, and then while we were waiting for someone, we spent the next 15, 10, 15 minutes chatting about something else, and then as we were finishing, um, something came up. I can't remember what the, the, the subject matter was, 
and we started talking about Netflix and we spent the next half hour talking about Netflix and, and Star Wars. And it's just because we, we got to know each other and was, we adapted to the situation and, you know, it was, it was three of us and we were just yeah. nice. It was a really nice conversation. Um, you know, when we started talking about the restaurants around the immediate area to their office in London as well. Um, you know, one of the guys got their phone out and started showing me photos of oh, this is nice. See, look at this. And um, I thought it was really, really nice. Um, we have, yeah, definitely got that crack on attitude. You know, we're in a poor situation, very minimal information or very minimal tools or personnel, but we just get on with it. You can always guarantee well. you get a couple of military people together and it'll mm. almost turn into food and drink. Yeah. It's just the quality of the food and drink, yeah. the difference. Yeah. You know, we get to eat out of metal tin cans whilst the RAF always got five star hotels. I had three star in Kenya. <laughs> <laughs> He put in an he put in an official complaint. <laughs> did, did you actually get to go away on boats, Fiona? Oh yeah, so yeah. I was. Uh, oh well, yeah. But we just you know we just ignore those stupid little commons. Boats. I mean, <laughs> come on. Um, but yeah, I was uh, I was in that um, brigade of women, shall we call it? That were I didn't have any choice but to go to sea. So I went on. Uh, I was on HMS Southampton. Then I went to Invincible. Um, the Falkland Islands, <laughs> uh, HMS Sheffield, and then back to Invincible again. And have you ever yeah. been to the Falkland Islands, Fiona? No, never. I don't know why you're asking me. No, no. Did I mention that? Did I mention that I had? So, well, so think, thinking back then, you know, um, what do you think were the, the, the transition challenges that you faced when you were, uh, obviously late in the memory will be, much clearer in your mind having done it more recently than the old soaps like Fiona and I have been left you know pretty much the best part of a generation ago um, a bit rude what... if I'm being honest <laughs> <laughs> what were the what were the challenges or the the, the sort of um, things that you faced leaving the military and transitioning back as a civilian uh, so for me I, I went from the military I went to the police so there was teams um, again, it's that adaptable situation. Going to the police, you had people from various backgrounds when I say, and, and good and bad. When I say bad, I don't mean they've come from a bad background in that, you know, they've come from a rough council estate. It's just that the, the, the whole attitudes um, to real life was just very naive. You, you, you know, I had a very, I had a, I've got a very dark sense of humor. I think that's from the military. And I, I, I was a grey man the whole course because I just didn't want to expose my sense of humour because the people on my course, they, they, it was some of them who, you know, they'd get offended by saying boo to a ghost. So I kept myself, I found out who I could trust and who I didn't want to trust, you know, I, I stuck to that little corner. So, so this is when you went from the military police to the civilian to the police. police. Civilian yeah. police. Okay. And then, so when I left the civilian police to working for Capita, which was my first step on my information, you know, continuing my information security uh, career. The, the, big, the, big, the big change that I faced was working by myself. I was working from home. I'd never done that before in my life. I had no one there, you know, to go across this and say, you know, I had no one to go walk to across, you know, a desk and say, can you help me with this? And then have a chat or have that, you know, water cooler chat. Or, you know, it, it was just me and I didn't know anything for the first two days. I never left my desk other than, you know, grab a quick sandwich and mm -hmm. straight back up to my desk. I just didn't know what to do. And it, that, that was a really hard adjustment because 
I just didn't know what to do or who, what, you know, I just didn't know what to do in my day um, and how to conduct myself. And it was only as I started chatting more with people online rather than in person that they would sort of tell me, you know, oh, you can do this, you know, oh, you mm-hmm. can do that. Go for a walk or go to the gym mm-hmm. if, you, if you've got spare time. I didn't know that. And it took me a little while. And See, that, if I wanted very, to speak with some... different from the military, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of mentoring mm-hmm. and support that you would get with, whenever you were new mm-hmm. in a job. It's, it's almost it's almost like chalk and cheese, isn't it? It's so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was meant to have been meant... I was dropped into an ISO 27001 project and I should have had somebody very senior uh, mentor on me. And I think the key word when I got told that was the very senior job title who was going to be mentoring me. They're a very, very busy person. So I didn't get that mentoring that I thought I was going to do. Um, and that was one of the things I fed back. I mean, don't get me wrong, I had a wonderful time at Capita. You know, they were, they were great to work for, but it was like I said, it was just getting used to working by myself, working with mm. people who are, you know, like ourselves now we're on teams. Um, when we had team, you know, weekly team calls, it wasn't voice like that we do in Advent where everyone has their camera on, everyone had their camera off. Um, so when I turned up to our first town hall, our quarterly town hall, I was listening for voices rather than looking for faces mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so that was a big adjustment. But when I left, um, I asked for feedback, you know, is there anything we could do to make you stay? All that good stuff. And, you know, can you give us some feedback on your time here? And, and that was one of the things I said in terms of mentoring. I said, having the service director say he's going to mentor me, probably not great. Why not have me shadow somebody on a consultant mm-hmm. level? That is more achievable than the service director who is trying to run that section of business. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Fiona, other than sobriety, what was the other big challenge that you faced having to leave the number? <laughs> um, I was really lucky, actually, when I left the military because... Um, I, uh, prior to leaving, I was at um, a place called HMS Forest Moor, which was up in the north, and it's a comms centre, communication centre. The job I got was working in the comms room at Greater Manchester Police, and it was of an era where most people in that department working shifts were called Steve, yeah? So everybody called everybody by their surname. So it was literally like going on draft, yeah? and to a new posting or whatever you want to, you know, describe it. And even a guy I met in the Falklands, did I tell you I'd been there? Um, he was um, an army guy and he had joined the police and he turned up to pick some up one night. And I'm like, and he was like, it's like working in a comms and Fiona. And I was like, that I know. Um, so it was, um, I literally had like a three year transition because I was just on draft for three years, but actually working with the civvy police, you know, and it was like, it was just a brilliant job, you know. So I didn't really experience um, challenges like that because it wasn't a definite, you're in the military and now you're going to. Yeah, so you didn't you just know, drop uh, off a cliff, you had that transitional no, phase. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and then when uh, I got another job within GMP, it was actually working for an ex-chief RS. Um, and you kind of go who was building a brand new information security team. So there was still that um, banter within that leadership with him. Um, you know, like he'd walk in in the morning and go, all right, Lofty, how are you doing? Y- you know, and it, yeah. so, so I, w- I was really fortunate in the fact that I could 
I moved on into literally just another posting without the uniform. It was it it was really good. Um, but I know that I'm one of the lucky ones there. Yeah, I think I found it really easy to transition, but that was mainly because I was never a very good soldier. Ah, yeah. 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 It was kind of like, you know, when I handed in my papers and said, ah, oh, I think I've had enough, I'm going, I think my major just breathed a sigh of relief and thought, oh, yeah. finally. As Mike Gillespie's yeah, walking yes, around Gillespie, with a knife, with a, pushed. he's walking around with a needle and a tourniquet, you're like, oh, all right, Mike, I think you've gone a bit too far. <laughs> uh, well, I, um, my first job out of the military, I was a service engineer, um, servicing military medical devices, it, uh, not military medical, sorry, medical devices in NHS laboratories. And um, so that was very much a case of you set your own workload and determined your own, you know, could be anywhere in the country from one week to the next. Um, and after I'd been there a couple of months, I was taken to one side by the team leader and was asked to slow down because I was making the rest of the team look bad. Whereas to me, it just seemed natural that you would try and book as much work in as you could yeah. and get as far around the country as you could. So how did you get then from being like, you know, Dracula to um, Advent IM and Information well, Assurance? That's a very good question, Fiona. Thank well you. presented and deserves an answer. Thank you. Um, well, as I said, when I turned up at Blood Supply, they, they were just computerising everything. And because they were military systems, obviously there was security, computer security aspects to it. But also there were medical systems where we were keeping medical records on blood products that were taken off various individuals. So we would go up to somewhere like a, a training camp where everybody was doing basic training. And of course, every single person in basic training would volunteer to go and give a pint of blood. Like you do currently at Advent IM as part of your strategy? Yeah, there was more pound of flesh. Than oh, pound of oh, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. The same sort of thing. For yeah, you, yeah. I mean, you, you understand. Yeah, I do, yeah. I do, yeah. Um, but those blood products would then go into any soldier anywhere in the world, and you had to have a full audit trail of where they'd gone, wow. they'd gone wow. to, and everything. Um, so the information had to be accurate mm -hmm. because if you were transfused um, back in, say, 1990, and in 2021 you developed. Um, hepatitis or HIV or something like that we needed to track back every product you'd ever been given back to every person who'd ever given it and work out whether they had developed the same disease to see whether it's possible that that had come from the blood so the audit trail and the accuracy of the information was absolutely vital and you're shipping blood all over the world so information had to be available to the recipient end so they knew all about the blood product and the blood grouping and the antibody status and all that sort of thing so I did not know it but I was already being taught confidentiality integrity and availability yeah. way before it became um, a known model and of course it was the mid 90s so you know networking was just coming online email was just starting to be introduced mm -hmm. Um, the internet was just on the horizon. So I really, I learned all of the things that we take for granted today. Um, and being the military, you just learn on your feet. You know, you, you get yourself on a course, Gillespie, they said. Um, I was like, oh, right, okay. What courses are the military doing in computing in 1994? Mm -hmm. Oh, right, none, okay. Um, so I used to go to one of these really um, interesting places um, called a library. 
Wow. So for our, our younger listeners, a library is like a physical Google. Yeah, go and find the books yourself. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and like I say, when they said that that wasn't a proper job and they're going to send me back to a laboratory, I decided, well, you know, all these years ago, I told my parents I wanted to work with computers and here I was doing what I wanted to do. Why wouldn't I keep doing it? So um, that was why I left the military and did service engineer, did IT support, did um, more sort of IT security, got into information security, um, ended up working for a consultancy that did InfoSec. But what they really did was they gave my consultancy away free in order to make £30 on a firewall um, and didn't see the value of what I was able to bring to the team. And so, well, pretty much 20 years ago this Christmas, I quit a well-paying job and set Advent up. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think back then I ever dreamed that I would be running a consultancy company through two recessions and a pandemic. I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Well, the pandemic bit in, in particular, that was not expected. Mm. But there you are. So here, here we are, 20 years later, still going strong as a consultancy. Um, our head of consultancy, Dave Wharton, nominated for Role Model of the mm -hmm. Year in the X-Forces in Business Awards. Um, absolutely fantastic. And what a great idea that is as well. You know, X-Forces in, you know, industry. It's It's just... It just goes to showcase, and I think it sends out a message to people who are still in the military and looking to, you know, leave or they've done their time or whatever it is, that, <clears throat> that there is a great network of people out there, isn't it, that have been through what you've been through now. Yeah. Um, you know, come and talk to us, you know, or, and go and find online. There's so much resource now available online for you to be able to plan your leaving date so that you're in the best opportunity you can be i don't think industry business um and and indeed education mm. actually realize the breadth and depth of skills that they can draw upon mm. from the military i can remember a few years back they were talking about how they were going to give additional grants to military leavers to go into teaching and people are up in arms though we don't want these bully sergeant majors in our schools bullying our children but you know People who did the job I did left the military with uh, master's degrees, leadership degrees, uh, you know, 22 years worth of experience of mentoring, teaching and, and developing young people. They'd be fantastic teachers and I think there's, it's great that we've got these awards that are talking about and showcasing just how amazing ex-military people can be and what they can bring to UK PLC now. Um, you know. I've always thought it, I know the RAF is slightly different, Leighton, but I've always thought it somewhat bizarre that by 42, you're considered by the military to have done your time, to have yeah. served your career, and your your service is no longer required when you're probably at your most experienced and able to give the most to the forces. 22 years, thank you very much, off you go, you're now retired. Yeah, um, I think it's different in the RAF. When you hit a certain rank, um, you can sign on for up to 30, I think, a sergeant. Mm. And I think some people stay on beyond that as well. They extend and they offer that. So you can have a full, nice and full career. And my former sergeant was now a warrant officer down in the Falklands as the station, the station warrant officer down there. Um, he had his 25th birthday, RAF birthday, back in 2015. 
So he's, yeah, he's done about 30 years now, 30, 31 years at least. And yeah, I don't think he'll ever leave the military. You know, if he does ever leave, it'll be to retire, mm -hmm. full stop. Um, yeah, so it, it is a slightly longer career with the RAF, but you know, you join the army at 18, mm -hmm. you've got 22 years ahead of you. By the time you're 40, you're effectively being told that's it, you're retired. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just that. seems to me the experience and capability mm -hmm. that they're losing as a result of that mm -hmm. is um, it's to the loss of the military, but it isn't it uh, to absolute gain of UK PLC uh, in the wider context? Completely. And that's, that's um, I was recruiting for a member for my team um, about two years ago now. And uh, uh, someone had done the 22 years from the army, applied for the job. And it was interesting because the recruiter said, I don't think this is what you're looking for, Fiona. And I looked at his CV and I was like, he is exactly what I'm looking for. And whilst he knew absolutely nothing about information security, nothing at all, I hadn't even been in any of those roles in the military, I knew that I could teach him that. But what I was looking for is his capability around what we'll call third party supplier management, because he's already dealing with what he didn't realize it, third party suppliers. Um, I can teach him the infosec side of it, but what he actually brings to the table is just this wealth of experience of, you know, managing people and managing responses and managing actions out of it. And, um, you know, Damien, I know he's going to get stolen from me because he's that good at what he does. Um, and he's, um, but he also, um, he's also got, there's only us two really, but he's also got a voice in our team. You know, it's like, he's just, he's just a brilliant guy. So, you know, he, he might not think that he had that quality, that he was a third party supplier management, you know, we're going to do it for InfoSec and DP and anti-money laundering and all that. Absolutely brilliant at it. Brilliant at it. And it was a skill that I'd already realised that was, um, and an experience that was missing within that team that we needed to do to meet the accreditation standards of 27,001 and the clients that we work with. Um, and he's just like, and again, it was, this is what I want the NPs to be. How do you think we can do that? Yeah. And, 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 it, and it gave him that kind of ability to sit back and go, this is what I can bring to the table. And every time now I hear Damien's, men Damien's name mentioned at a higher level, it's all about the value that he brings to the organisation. So if there's some military, you know, listening to this now, you do bring value. Yeah. It, it's... Um, and, and, and to be honest with you, when I left my previous job, I was actually on a course that planted the seed. And it was from an ex-military girl. I've just thought of this. And I made a statement about something. And she was like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Rewind, rewind. She said, if, if you don't feel as though you bring value to an organization, there is an organization out there that wants the value that uh -huh. you bring. And that's exactly what happened within four months. That's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So if you had, you know, an 18, 19 year old stood in front of you now thinking about a career in the forces, guys, what would you say to them? Go for it. Oh, absolutely. I'd say go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Take um, every, any opportunity you can to do any course that is thrown at you, even if you don't want to do it. 
yeah if even if it's not something that you really want to do just take the course mm -hmm. take advantage of is it your learning credits that you get now or you're learning yeah yeah, yeah take advantage of those got any course that you can to learn anything and it will start molding you into the person that you want to be just take it because i don't think when we were like you know back in our day mike let's leave Leighton out this bit of the conversation <laughs> um back in our day there was a, there were courses but there wasn't really learning credits or qualifications get yourself qualified through you know even if even if you know you've got the opportunity to go and do an hgv course yeah go and do it yeah Go and do it. Yeah. Put yourself forward and learn and listen and, you know, contribute. And your transition, you'll either stay in the military for life or you'll have so many skills that are transferable over into civilian life will not be wasted on people at all. I, I say to a lot of younger people now, forget university, forget yeah. the... You know, God, what are they talking about now? £40,000 worth of debt before you've even started work. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, and I, I think some of the more recent recruitment adverts have really played on this, that the military isn't just about carrying a rifle yeah. and going into war. Yeah. There are trades. Every job that you can do in as a civilian, mm -hmm. you can do in the military. And you will get trained, you'll get educated, you'll get qualified, and you'll get paid whilst you're doing it. And you'll get friends for life. Friends for life. You will literally make friends yeah. for life. Even on all my socials, most of the people I integrate with are people I've known for 25 years plus from the Navy. Yeah. And it's like, and, and also as well, you know, when you find people that, um, you know, I, I had to do a little bit of stint on business continuity in my present organisation. And I had a... I, one of my friends called up one day. That's exactly what she's doing. She went, you need me out, mate. Give me a shout. I hadn't spoken to her for 20 years. There you go. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So at the other end of the scale, then, if you've got somebody that's coming to you for advice saying they're thinking of leaving the forces and taking up a, a second career, if you like, what would you say to them, Leighton? A second career? I'd ask them what that career is, first of all. Um, and also to think about it and also research. Uh, for myself, going from the RAF to British Transport Police, if somebody had said, sleep on it, have a really good sleep on it, and, and think about it, pros and cons, but also research it as well and try and do as much research as possible. So if that is going down to your local police station and speaking to someone and asking all the questions, whether that's related to pay, you know, the shift pattern, what actually the job is as well, what you'll be doing on a day-to-day -day basis, what opportunities are available for you, do it. Because once you're in it, you're probably thinking, actually, this is probably the wrong decision. And that's what happened to me. Um, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd gone out and said, you know what, you might have a day just to go down to the local police station, British Transport Police Station, and speak to someone and have a conversation and see if that is what I want to do and find out. I mean, the shift pattern they were working, I think that was one of the things that sort of it was one of the nails already in that coffin of this is a bad decision and knowing what's around me in the area. Um, you know, it's quite a centric police force anyway. So, and I was in Bristol and other than a Bobby on the beat in Bristol in, in, you know, in that, in the rail network, there wasn't much else to do. So I was very limited in where I could go as such in terms of developing myself. So, so look, looking back on looking back on everything you've done, you know, from from when you were young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, to where you've ended up so far today, and you know, we've all got 
so much more ahead of us mm -hmm. still I think you know um, you know so many more things to achieve so many more ambitions but looking back on everything you've done is there anything that you would say
Thank you.